He's got to be pleased with that. The crowd is just on his feet here. He's a Cinderella boy. Uh, tears in his eyes, I guess, as he, as he lines up this last shot. He's got about 195 yards left. This crowd is going deadly silent. Cinderella story out of nowhere. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole! It's in the hole! Welcome to episode 124 of a Good Talk Spoiled Golf podcast. I'm James Richardson and I'm joined this week by Barry O'Hanneran. Hey Barry. Hey James, good to be back after a little break. And to you. It's, uh, it's great to be back and anybody who wants to get in contact with us can get us on Twitter. Our handle is at a good talk golf. We're on emails, which is a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. And uh, you can get in contact with us um, through either of those two mediums, and uh, we'll, re- we'll repeat them over the course of the show. The so, show's just for everyone, the show's available on as many places as uh, we can put it out between iTunes and Tune and everything. So, um, any ratings or likes you can give us in those, uh, in those mediums are much appreciated and they really help kind of spread the show around the world. So, thank you very much for all you've rated and for anyone who's going to do it. And for all the Twitter feedback that we do get at A Good Talk Golf, uh, we appreciate the feedback and it's uh, it's good to interact with you guys. Um, so look, uh, this weekend just gone really was the start of kind of autumn has become winter over here and it's uh, the course is getting an awful lot softer up in Glen of the Downs and the wind is getting a lot colder and uh, the, the mittens are back in the bag uh, well and truly this weekend. Yeah, I didn't use them though. It was almost like a point of principle to to hang on to them until until really needed. It's kind of like not putting a jacket on before you actually walk out of the house. Yeah, um, no, I I, I have the snood is back was back on me at the weekend, and the gloves are very much back out. But uh, enjoyable two days. Um, mm. We're going to skip past the the Glen of the Downs because that was just a regular enough uh, day. But more interestingly, a few of us went up and played uh, St Anne's, which is a beautiful Lynx course which backs onto Royal County Dublin which is right in the Dublin Bay just uh, north of the River Liffey overlooking the city and Hoth and um, Barry this was I think the first time we had both played St Anne's and mm-hmm. um, I played Royal Dublin a couple of times but what did you think of the course it's a true Lynx in, in, in so far as it's an old Lynx yeah and not particularly long but it's really the wind is is it's big big defense um yeah so it's 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 quite a flat links so very similar in vibe to port marnock um so you don't get you don't have holes where you're very protected by say a big dune where you'd be on a tee and a dune is protecting you from the wind or you'd have a small bit of that protection of your ball flight um it's very exposed so when the wind is up it is it's a factor on every single shot and one to be considered and the regular prevailing wind for both Royal Dublin and, and St. Anne's would be either standing on the first, it's either into you or behind you. And mm. you kind of play a number of holes out, then back. So you're you're going to get them on equal ways. It's very rare to have a win that cuts from right to left or left to right. It's either behind your back or into your face. Yeah, and, and that was pretty much what we dealt with for the day. You know, we had uh, It doesn't go nine holes out and nine holes back, but it goes up and down and up and down. And... Uh, yeah, you get an equal share of it. You have your opportunities to, to score downwind. There are a couple of downwind par fives, and then there are a couple of par fours that were playing longer than those par fives were in, in kind of effective terms because you're back into the wind. Um, I really liked the course. I thought it was playable. It was quite, 
it was wasn't overly generous off the tee, but it was everything was there in front of you. You could see what you're, you could see what you had to do off the tee, which was nice. And um, yeah, I mean the course was in fantastic condition. The fairways we all we all remarked about the fairways. They were they were like carpets. Uh, the greens had just been hollow tined, so but they'd recovered really quickly from what I could see. So yeah, all in all, I really enjoyed the course. Really good challenge. It was particularly challenging on Sunday with the wind. Um, I had I played quite well that day. I really, it, oh, it was one of those nice days on a Lynx golf course where things kind of worked out for the most part. And I think the thing about St Anne's, while you say it's flat or flatter, it's it's not the big sand dunes like we get down in Carn. Mm. But actually, it's rare enough to find too many times when you're on the fairway or off the fairway that you're going to have a, a, a particularly flat lie. It, you'll you'll have a little yeah. bump or a hollow. So. Your stance will always be moving, so it's very links orientated in that way. You know, mm. you're never going to have a flat lie, so you've got to maybe be more conscious of manipulating the club or clubbing down or or, or holding the shaft a little bit lower. Sure, sure, yeah, no, good point. And when I'm talking flat, I'm talking in terms of the, the ground geographical features. Yeah, on 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 the actual the, uh, for every shot you're playing off the the fairway, it's not off a tee box. Yeah, you're dead right. There's a there's other factors involved. You could be on an upslope, a side slope, a down slope. Your, you know, one foot could be above the other and at a different angle. So, I mean, you played a great three-wood shot early on when the you had one foot a little bit below the other. The other, you know, one was cambered that way and the ball was slightly above your feet. And I think that's it was yeah, only yeah, the it was second the first, hole. first hole. Yeah, yeah. you just hit a beautiful three-wood straight at the green and uh, par five, I should say, rather than yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that long of par four. I don't put my hand yeah. up. There was there were a lot of three. There were a lot of par fours that we hit three woods into that day. Because they were into the wind, and the and the great thing about particularly links golf and true links, you know, rather than say Glen of the Downs, which is that kind of hybrid, kind of exposed linksy kind of parkland, a true links, you know, you really have to be so conscious of the wind, using the contours of the the ground. Like, I think um, I think I was looking back at my game golf, and we were joking about it at the time that. I hit one drive and, you know, the wind was straight into our face and just stance and everything. I just didn't feel comfortable. Knocked it down only, I think, 14 yards or 18 yards or something. I was going to give you 20 yards, but yeah. We'll it go. could have been 20. <laughs> we'll go with 20. Then I hit a three wood. Yeah. Just got up to where you guys were with the uh, with the drives. And then I hit, a, I hit another driver off the deck, which is the second time I had done it. And it rolls on up, you know, just short of the green. And, and that's the thing. you got to manipulate and hit things that you might not normally do on your own home course or in a parkland and it makes you certainly think twice about what you have to do on each and every shot which makes it a very tiring round of golf over mm. 18 holes because you never switch off even more so in links golf i find that the question of what club did you play um is just throw it out the window i mean on a on a round of the downs we we both know our yardage is by and large for our irons. So after after an iron shot to say part three, out of interest, I will say, what club did you hit? You know, it, it's good for gauging my own distances as well because I can see how well you hit it. And then I'm like, okay, how am I hitting it relative, relative to James today? Not in competition, I would like to add. After the shot, after after I've played after my own shot, shot as well. When we're sorry, clarify. <laughs> yeah, good save. Um, but it's just good for that. But on a Lynx course, I think that that question just goes out the window because you have to. There's all the, the trajectory and the spin and whether you've got a fade or a draw on the ball. That all adds up. But you might have to play it with a four iron when it's only one twenty yards out. But 
it's the whole idea is to keep the ball down below the wind and get it to run up maybe or something. So that question about what club you hit doesn't really matter. It's what shot did you hit? And that's well, you that's saw the at one stage thing. I think it was on the the fourth hole. Uh, you thought I had hit the three wood until you looked down and saw that I had actually hit the driver off the deck. Yeah. Um, but but the thing is, it's it you know, and it's it's funny because somebody when we were down in the Connemara when I was down at the Connemara Pro Am, one of the the, the the pros was asking what kind of courses I prefer to play, you know, is it links or is it Parkland, what's... And I never really thought about it. And then it was at the time I got asked the question that I realised, actually, I just, you know, just instinctively default to, if I'm not playing in the Downs, I look for links golf courses. Mm. Where the interesting point that the pro had made was actually, you should play a lot more Parkland because you have a much higher ball flight. You You're actually probably suited more... To a parkland course than a than a links, mm. but I just can't not play links. I just love links courses because of perhaps the challenge. But um, superb little holes. There's some fabulous. Just going back to Saint Anne's for the moment, yeah. away from links, as as a course itself. You know, it it for what we paid, which I think was what twenty euros around uh, per tw- person. Twenty like, euros on a weekend round for a golf course that's as long established as this. It's over hundred years old and in magnificent condition. It's it was a steal. And it, re- it really was. And, and the, the lovely thing is that there's a few signature holes that were just, mm-hmm. that, you know, even now, kind of a few days on, and, you know, they're ones that will stick with me in six months' time or 12 months' time. Like, you know, not particularly long holes, not particularly, you know, the best in the world, but just ones that actually to the eye were lovely. Like, I thought the 17th, which is a short part three, but the way... Short. <laughs> well, it's shorter than... Uh, so, it, it, it wouldn't have been as short. It wouldn't have been as long if the wind wasn't straight into our face. It's a 184 yard off the whites, part three, and... Oh, yeah, but the, sorry, the, 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 the blues are only about five yards further back. They are, so yeah, it was far. maybe 195 yeah. off the blues, or 190, 195. But this, this was into a prevailing wind, so it will play into a win like we were playing into a four or five club win well I, I hit rescue and I hit it pin high and, and a rescue for me normally goes 210 215 yeah and uh, so that kind of gives the idea it was it was that kind of distance uh, it would and this is a tough hole because the, the, the off the tee it feels like you're playing out of a shoot or out of a funnel and um, there's there's as you get in links golf courses there's strategic bunkers along the way to kind of mess with your depth perception so they were actually planted a bit shorter of the green than they actually looked um the green does open out itself kind of think of the hole as like an ice cream cone and you're playing a tee shot from the very bottom of it uh but like if you're trying we were talking about this like 16 17 18 are really strong holes and if you're trying to hang on to or get a score home when you're playing like a regular competition or even a monthly medal of strokes competition. They are real tests. I would not want to play a strokes competition around that course. I would have been fine. I, I, why not? I, I, I played well that day. I had didn't lose a ball. Um, not for want of trying. There were a couple of loose shots out there. I don't think any of us lost a ball. Well, sorry, Sonny did. But so, that's, yeah. That's a but, whole other conversation. But there, there, there's another good thing, actually. that We got to go around... The hazards are there are little ditches, but you know you, you could if you lose the ball in there you'll find it because they're very you know shallow water and they're not it's just sand based. Like it's not an easy place to lose a to physically lose a golf ball. It, it's why it's a fair when you say that it's all out in front of you and about the the the, the width of the fairways. 
the reality is you can be five yards, ten yards off the fairway. Mm. You're going to find it. You're going to mm-hmm. walk up. It's going to. It might be in a dirty lie. It might not be sitting as pretty. But you're gonna you're gonna find it. You're gonna be able to hit it. Um, but in any event, Saint Anne's go back, not go back. Um, I'll, play I'll, any day I'll, of the week. You could. I'll go back and play Saint Anne's again for sure. Um, it's certainly if yeah. anybody was in Dublin, I would recommend that is somewhere you should look because I've played now both on that on that uh, the island on the Bull Island. Yeah. So I played Royal Dublin and I played that, and I have to say that they are of an equal part to me. Hmm. The difference that you're going to be paying out of Royal Dublin is, the name. is is five times what you're going to be paying out of St. Anne's. So is that it though? Is that it? I haven't played Royal Dublin, so is it just the name Royal Dublin that gives I, it the extra? I played I played Royal Dublin um, twice last summer, and I have to say I, I, I have more enjoyable thoughts of St. Anne's than I do of... Mm. I, I wouldn't be rushing back to play Royal Dublin, and now playing St. Anne's, I'd be as quick to go back and play. For bang for your buck, if you have money, if you're there, you want to play Royal Dublin, play it. Royal Dublin over Port Marnock, there's no competition there. You're, you're going to play Port Marnock. So if you put it in the categories of what Royal Dublin is and the price that you're paying, you have a lot of choice between, say, the European club in the south yeah. and you've got Baltray in the north and you've got the island and Port Marnock in between. I think you're going to go with one of the others. Having said that, if your choice is Royal Dublin at 100-odd euros, over 20-something euros for St. Anne's, St. Anne's is an absolute steal for that price. So that's, is that our call then? If you're looking for... A quality, fun links golf course at a great price. Right in the heart of Dublin. You're not going to beat it. Like you're 15 minutes from Dublin Airport from yeah. from where where that course is. And so the same from the city centre, 15, 20 yeah. minutes. Yeah. It's it's superb and, and it's actually easy to get to if people were travelling and they didn't have a car or they were, you know, were using public transport. There's a dart line that literally is yeah. outside the, the entrance that you just need to walk down to the clubhouse. It might take you... 15 minutes to walk it true but it's it's very easily done and it's a beautiful place to play golf you've Dublin literally wrapping around you and uh, hold to the north and then obviously the rest of Dublin to the south it's a it's a yeah good good day out if so. anybody has played um, St Anne's and um, any listeners uh, let us know what you guys think and, and let us know how you feel about it a good talk golf is the Twitter handle and uh, if your season's coming to an end let us know whether or not you, you reached your targets over the course of the year. Myself and Barry will be talking more about that on the next episode. Um, so I suppose, look, there's been a lot of news over the last number of weeks. And I suppose if I start with really what's breaking this week before mm. we look backwards, um, the big story this week is Rory is over at the WGC in, in uh, Shanghai. He has been reported to be practising um, with the tailor-made M2, seemingly the kind of numbers he's getting on track, man, three thirty carry. Yeah, you know, superb numbers off it. This is obviously the start of a lot of the players who were Nike affiliated are starting to look at the market and look at new clubs and look at, and they've taken a few weeks off. Rory the hasn't played. Huge high-profile player to to do it. Like a few of the few of the boys like Tony Finn now went a little earlier, but. This, yeah, this is the one that's really catching our attention. And Rory. And Rory hasn't played since the Ryder Cup. He had the mm. Nike Viper in the bag. Um, it's given him a few weeks of downtime and ability to practice and, and kind of 
use I, I'd say he probably had every type of driver that was possible sitting on a shelf in whatever place he was practicing so he and has gone through every one of them could have filled a warehouse of clubs I'd say he's indicated in the past that he's not going to necessarily sign a, a, an equipment contract and um, there's no rumours coming out this week that he's changing the irons that it's still going to be the Nike irons we know he moved to the Scotty Cameron putter and we know that he made the comment about the fact that the ball that he's been using with Nike he has like three years supply of those golf mm. balls and um, is this the slow erosion? Is this showing where TaylorMade, even though they're up for sale and looks like they're, you know, their their long term history is or long term future is 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 open for debate? The M two, somebody like Rory doing it, it's got to be a big coup for for TaylorMade. It's huge, isn't it? Does that like how much does that, does that add to the sale price? A few percentage points. It has to. Well, it's it, yeah. I, I I assume what you mean is in terms of the the sale of TaylorMade the brand rather than necessarily yeah, the yeah. price of the actual club. No, sorry, the brand. Um, yeah, not the club price. Yeah, and look, he's been he's been spotted playing with the trying out their fairway woods as well on the range this week. So, I I was talking with one of our playing partners, Sonny, on Sunday uh, about Rory and his equipment, and one of the things that came up was that we thought it would be maybe in his interest to remain a free equipment agent, which means he can go and cherry pick and choose whatever he wants to play with or whatever suits him over the course of his career, over the course of a year, if his game tweaks or whatever, he's a, he's completely free to grab whatever he wants in the market, which he's in that position of well, not needing the money. So now, now he's all about performance and winning. So, what what is a situation or a setup that helps him get to those wins? I think him being a free agent in the equipment market and having pick the pick and uh, the pick of the litter is a really good situation for him. Is this where, in looking at where golf is gone from and where it's going to, is this realistically where the future of golf lies for these big players, Jason Days, Dustin Johnson, Tiger? Rory, all of the big names, to not handcuff themselves to a certain type of equipment brand. An equipment contract. And and allow them the opportunity to maybe take and put into the bag a different type of wedge or put in a different putter when they're, you know, and to be able to at the point say, actually the money is now not the Mm. issue because you can only earn so much before really it's another X on top. It, it, It becomes just money on money. For Rory... Is it now the time to actually be the leader in this new revolution of golf, which is we don't sign contracts like that, yeah. or we sign you know a one year contract that that we look at the equipment on a year by year basis? I think that Ferrari, looking from where he was and through through Nike and 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 really the difficulties he had around the putter mainly, it makes sense for him to stay equipment free. Let him decide what he wants and. You know, one week he might have something, another week he might have something else. It's going to make marketing for these guys interesting. Well, yeah. If if TaylorMade is this, you know, the story of the week this week, he's putting the M two in. If he doesn't play well this week and he changes to, you know, a, a Cobra, mm. you know, is it an an implied? I didn't like it. It was shite, and I'm moving on to another brand. It's going to be interesting for the, the companies to try and How to be able that. to manage yeah. that, that I, kind of image. And the, the, they're, they're, these guys, their net worth is beyond the requirement for an equipment contract to put guaranteed money in their pockets. 
Um, they can now have they could go they could still of course have a bag contract a clothing contract a footwear contract a hat contract well obviously just in terms of uh, of Rory his well, contract yeah. with Nike remains yeah yeah, and yeah. Must wear of course the of course yeah but they yeah whether whether the the clubs now these guys say they do actually move into this stock way of playing or grabbing whatever clubs they want well it, it turns into more of kind of an endorsement or short term endorsement as opposed to a contract they have to play this they choose to play it so of course they're going to say I endorse this TaylorMade M2 for the next three and a half weeks because it's awesome and TaylorMade pay him a few quid for doing that how much do you think the change of equipment for pros at that level is significant um, how much do you think putting a Titleist AP2s in the bag versus a Wilson iron, which we all know pretty much are all made out of the same factory, just with different branding. Mm. Outside of the driver, what, where do they get that extra, you know, 1% or 2%? Like, at that level, is it that significant for them? Or could you put any real club in the hands of these guys and really find that they're going to be able to perform with it? With the figures we saw that came out uh, about Rory and the M2 driver, that was, his ball speed had increased four miles an hour. That's just purely from the club and the shaft. That that four mile an hour increase will roughly equate to 12 yards in carry distance. So that's that's a huge jump for guys. Um, when I was playing with Chris, uh, no laying up here a few, couple of weeks ago, he was saying... Um, Brooks Kepka made a driver switch and he gained 20 some I think it was 24 yards just on a driver switch alone so, th- so these, these are that's... massive differences like yes you can go from an actual difference you can look at the numbers and go there is an actual difference or you can have a perceived difference in that I like the look of this club better or this club feels better or it's a mental difference I'm just changing to something new new might be better or a change is better at but that, do you at think that level, then, half a percent is, is everything. It's the difference between winning and losing. So do you think that it's more likely that the likes of the pros are going to try and keep themselves... Like Rory can keep himself driver and wood-free out of a contract, but you're not going to have a huge difference between one set of irons over another. And I think it's telling this week that he's not changing the Nike irons. And I, I it would be interesting to see if he even changes them over the next mm-hmm. number. A blade from five years ago is virtually the same type of blade iron it is today. There isn't a huge difference between them. The point is that outside of the driver, it would be interesting to see if they actually switch a lot in terms of the irons or whether it's just the driver that gives them that extra 12 yards with four Well, four we'll, we'll get on to it a little bit. We may as well talk about it now. We're going to talk about Harrington's win later on, but Harrington moved into the new set of Wilson irons this week on the range in Portugal switch them out they're not going to hit the market until January but whatever he saw or felt on the range of those irons he went I'm putting these in now they have they are different they have a you know slightly higher tungsten weight on um, in the irons which helps get the ball into the air easier the 3, 4 and 5 iron are designed to be more stable on the perimeter of the club all of the you know all of these things helped him see what he wanted to see on the range or you know what he you know it all worked out he made, a, he made a call on the range to change irons, which is not something the pros will seem to do very regularly. They seem happy enough to switch out drivers uh, to, to find something, but the irons, once they settle on them, they seem to become not attached to them, but more comfortable with them, and the, the belief and the, the trust in the irons 
stays a lot longer or you know holds a lot more than it does in a, in say than a driver. So Harrington had no qualms in doing it. I think Rory Rory's testing and trying other irons. If he finds a set that he feels are working better than those Nike irons, he'll have those in the bin so fast you won't even be able to blink. Well, I suppose uh, there's probably a lot of people sending him messages on Facebook at the moment, wondering if they would send, you know, if he could be sent uh, his his Nike driver. He tends to give away a lot of his equipment uh, <laughs> uh, to people on on Facebook, and I suppose we we will come back to Harrington just in a minute. But let's talk about, I suppose, another big story from the last couple of weeks, which was uh, Tiger Woods has now launched a venture firm called TGR, and. Um, a lot of debate over the logo is it is it the w is it clause is it just a load of shite and um, somebody said i saw on twitter is it, did it look like a backgammon board which is kind of funny yeah uh, that's like there, there seems to be a lot of um a lot of issues interesting um the rumors that have been floating around this week is that uh tiger is obviously looking at not just coming back he says he's going to play this uh at the hero world challenge he pulled out in terms of a couple of the, the events the last while that we all thought he was going to return to. But this new venture firm, Hogan, all these guys moved into different parts of the industry when their playing days were perhaps coming towards the end. I'm not saying Tiger Woods is coming to an end, mm-hmm. so please don't get it on my back on Twitter at, at Good Talk Golf. But the reality is, does this look a little bit like a man who is about to make a play for the TaylorMade brand and interesting with the conversation we've just had with his good friend Rory putting the TaylorMade driver in the bag this week, would it be something that might occur that you see a Tiger-Rory type affiliation occurring? I don't know. You know, with Tiger now him saying he's going to play the Hero World Challenge, that's got an even bigger pinch of salt with it than it did before he said he was playing a couple of weeks ago and pulled out. So, um, until, you know, now it's like there's even more of a doubt over whether he'll play the Hero. Uh, whether he goes for TaylorMade or not, I don't know. That's that's a big first step for an investment firm or a venture firm to take, buying a... I don't think uh, Tiger is going to be too concerned uh, no, but in it, terms of the, the cash it will require and the people who will back it. But more than a significant dent in his pocket. I don't think he puts one brass dime of his money up into this business. This this venture firm is going to be underwritten by an awful lot of other venture firms that are just going to use the Tiger Woods name to make a lot of money for both him and for themselves. And I can't see Tiger putting a vast amount of his own wealth into it. I think he'll underwrite a little bit, mm-hmm. but I don't think that you're going to... If he if he makes the play for TaylorMade, which in my opinion makes a perfectly sensible approach, if he decides that there is... Like, let's look at this logically. Tiger Woods, when he joined Nike, basically joined to give them his expertise, just like any Formula One driver, Ross Braun, they, they bring with them the expertise yeah. that he can bring. I'm not saying Nike was solely because of Tiger Woods, but without his input, and it's been reported... They've got nowhere near that, they got in terms of technology right, and development. Yeah, yeah of course. Like, like they need that guy who knows what they're saying, how they fit. And to take somebody like Tiger Woods and to put it in, and it's interesting that, you know, that the brand isn't being done under Tiger Woods. It's going down as TGR, so it's it's not... 
it's not as obvious that if somebody goes and plays Tiger Woods clubs, they're not a Tiger Woods club. They're going to be a whatever club. Mm. I just think it makes sense for somebody of his ability. He's already done it for 25 years, 30 years with, you know, well, 20 years with Nike in development of golf clubs. I think that if you're looking for Tiger Woods, it's, it's a sensible progression, whether it returns him the investment that he's looking for. Um, but the contacts he has out there, PXG is there now fighting on tour. Mm. It's a small snowball. You get one or two guys, it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. I look. I, th- I think it seems like the. It's a logical step in progression. You've had, yeah, like you said, you've had your Arnold Palmer's, you've had your um, Jack Nicholas's getting into golf equipment, um, Tommy Armour back in the day as well. It's it seems like another thing to add to his legacy is to have an equipment firm and buying one that's sitting there ready made, like tailor made, rather than developing his own one. It's a quick way into the market. I hope everybody else got the pun there. I did not intend that at all. <laughs> it just it, the words just came out. I couldn't stop it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a quick way for him to get a golf a golf equipment brand that's his, um, rather than building one up from scratch. Although we've like you just mentioned PXG, there we've seen that can be done as well to to good degree of success. In very, it obviously takes stages. an awful lot more money to do that than to be buying into into an already supply chain. Of, yeah, of it helps if you're a billionaire like Bob Parsons, but you know, just so happens Tiger Woods is also one of those. So if he wanted to build one from scratch, he could build one from scratch. So and that could be the thing they do, uh, rather than throwing a couple of hundred million or however much it costs to buy TaylorMade. So. Well, it's going to be interesting to see uh, what what develops with the TaylorMade and the Tiger Woods story. Um, like we saw in Golfsmith over in the states, the massive golf retailer went bust there recently, uh, or went bankrupt and was bought out by Dick's was bought by Dick's Sporting Goods for I think it was seventy million. I saw the figure was. So there is still there's still money you know in golf equipment, of course. Like yeah, it's also but, it's it just the you other wonder problem. how much that seventy million is actually. Where, you know where it's worth the, the, the reality is though TaylorMade's in difficulty because less people are playing the game there's not as many young people coming into it um, they need to tap into the likes of the Japanese and the, the, the Chinese market it isn't occurring at the rate that they expect Nike put out this you know statement in the summer when they were exiting the market that it was really down to sales and the ability to, to move off what I think five or eight percent or something of the market share, which for a brand of their ability is just it's not going anywhere, mm. and that they were aiming to to be hitting in the American market where guys just weren't spending. Um, in any event, I suppose one other I suppose equipment story is that the Titleist and Footjoy holding company is about to float on the New York stock market, and uh, I suppose it gives you a good example of what a, a successful brand it has been. Uh, $1.7 billion it's, uh, it's being valued at and is expected to, to raise approximately $435 million from the flotation. And I think that the, um, the New York Stock Exchange is going to give it golf as the, uh, as the ticker, mm. ticker uh, list. So like, That's it, a power brand in golf. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, it's there. You've got, the, you've got both the clubs and you've got the apparel. So mm. it, it, does, it can work if, you, if you, you know, have the ability there. The World Golf Hall of Fame, uh, Davis Love III, Ian Woosnam, Henry Longhurst, Meg Mallon and uh, Lorene Ocho has uh, been formally, you know, sent their invites to the, uh, to the induction. And um, I think Sky, Sky Sports last year, I think, hosted the show that live. 
Um, so we'll have to keep it. I think that was because Laura Davis last year got mm. it. So I think when there's uh, some form of UK involvement. Um, we don't get too pumped up about Hall of Fames and sports here uh, in Ireland. I think it's, it's more, it seems to be more of an American thing to me. I don't know if, I, if I'm sitting here on my own in that, but... Um, I don't know. I don't know if I... Like, I think... I think... It's it's harder because the Hall of Fames are based in America, mm. if that makes sense. You know, yeah. like, there is more Hall of Fame locations that you can go to and visit. They are based in America, and they certainly like their... The, the history of it with the American football, the baseball Hall of Fame. So maybe it is more American. I, I, I don't know if, like, if somebody wants to, you know, induct me into a Hall of Fame, wherever it is, I'm more than happy to I'll, Yeah, I'll gladly turn up and make a speech if that's the case. But it's just, yeah, it's I saw, it's a huge honour for those guys to get into that kind of... It's to be recognised for your career amongst your peers. So that is, it is a big thing. And uh, yeah. Then I suppose finally, Barry, you were... Uh, highlighting to me the PGA Tour's new schedule rules and uh, you know maybe you just might bring listeners up to this if they haven't heard it themselves very briefly I'll probably butcher it but the whole idea is to design to strengthen PGA Tour events th- uh, throughout the calendar year so if a player hasn't played 25 events last season they must play and they must add one event to their schedules this year that they haven't played in the previous four years so the, the logic is that events they're not playing are probably weaker events. And uh, if they play one of those, they, um, they're they going to strengthen the field, uh, especially if they, they're playing less than 25 events. It's probably kind of it's focusing on the guys who are cherry-picking events or the, they're, they're the top players. They can afford to pick and choose these things. So it's a good idea. Um, it'll help give uh, the so-called lesser events a little bit of a profile boost in terms of a, a big name attending or playing. So... Um, um, yeah, good for the good for the tour. Yeah, good, good for week in week out. You know, I can have one or two dud events. I suppose just to to also wish Nick Doherty, uh, you know, all the best in his retirement. He uh, has retired from professional golf, and I suppose he's been semi retired. It, it's kind of been on the the cards. He's been doing a lot more with Sky, and I have to say, I think his involvement in Sky has really improved. What was already a top, uh, you know, top program and top. Uh, you know, punditries that were there, and mm. I think it's just added a whole new level. Oh, I really enjoy him on the TV. He's got a great insight, and he's he's that level closer to the tour than the other guys in the studio. So uh, has that little bit better insight. Uh, I think he just he also times. comes across just yeah. you know he's really softly spoken, and he just you know he can make the points really well and really clearly. Would make a good teacher. Uh, yes. Um, so last week the LPGA were playing the Blue Bay. LPGA at the Lake Blue Bay Golf Course in China. It was over the 6,778-yard par 72. Minji Lee wins her third Blue Jay or Blue Bay title on 13 under one stroke ahead of uh, Jessica Corda and two ahead of... Uh, do you want to take that name? I uh, Come on. No, I'm not going to. Jutanagarn. There you go. The European Tour, and I suppose this is really where our focus was for the whole of uh, last week was the Portugal Masters down in uh, Villamora in Portugal, played over the 7,146-yard par 71. And I suppose if nobody has been living under a rock over the last couple of days, um, uh, poor Carrington won by one shot ahead of Andy Sullivan and uh, a couple of shots further back were a few others, um, Hansen and Rock and Lipsky, Laurie and... 
Oliver Fisher and a few others rounding out the top 10. First time that Porrick Harrington has won in over eight years on the, the, the I think, either tour, in fact. Won um, the Honda Classic. Won the Honda Classic. Um, so yeah, sorry, I forgot I won actually on a bet on that <laughs> um, on the European tour. So it's his first in eight years. I heard him talk over the course of the week on Irish radio, and he was saying that look, at the end of the day, you know, you play eighteen, twenty, twenty-two events over the course of the, the the season. You know, it's so hard to win that any win over a season is a great season, and um, brings him back into the top one hundred, and. Um, you know, life in the old dog yet, Barry. This is a guy oh, yeah. who has struggled, makes a lot of changes, tinkers. He just, you know, he wins the Honda. You think, come on now, poor, this is kick on. And then you kind of just see a desperate slide again. And, you know, optimism springs eternal. Is this, is this another rebirth of poor Carrington? It's so funny. Like, I heard him do a... Um he was on the News Talk Golf Weekly podcast there for an interview post-Ryder Cup and they were talking to him about the Ryder Cup a bit and then a bit about his own game. And he said, over the last few months, he said, I, my distance has disappeared. And he was always very, very long. Um, he referenced playing beside Bernd Wiesberger earlier in the season and was just crushing it past him and then played with him again there recently and Wiesberger was miles past him. So he said he didn't know what was going on. He said... You may have attributed to biorhythms and just time of year and things happening with your body and whatnot. But um, he sounded very positive and pretty chilled out and relaxed. Goes to Portugal, changes the irons on the on the practice range out there and um, goes out and wins a golf tournament. Um, now, it's it's just great. His there was I mean, we can look into the, the few of the things that he did right last week to help him win. His scrambling was absolutely off the charts. He had 25 opportunities to get to get up and down from scrambling and took 51 shots to do so. I think he chipped, he chipped in a couple of times and held a bunker shot as well. So um, only kind of two or three times in regulation did he... Sorry, did he not get up and down in regulation like a chip and a putt? So uh, what like when you're missing the greens and you're doing that and pulling those things together, that's how you get to 23 under par. Phenomenal performance, um, and just it's amazing what a guy like him does to sports fans around Ireland. Like we'll always talk golf with our friends, but just everybody in Ireland knows Padraig Harrington. Like he's a national hero, and when he does something, it everybody talks about it. Men, women, children. It's like, oh, did you see Harrington won last week? And we all get really excited. So, well, so I it's think a huge thing. Like, I think for Pork, and I think. You know, he's just such a good guy. He's, you know, he's he's always available to people. You know, I've heard that people have gone up to him in, in various clubs when he's been there and he'll chat and he'll talk, he'll sign autographs. Even in the worst moods, he always finds time for fans. So, um, four rounds, 66, 63, 67, 65 for a 161, uh, 23 under. The interesting you point there, and I think it should be highlighted in terms of the scrambling stats, he had to even scramble on the 18th. You know, he's he's missed it long and he's not sitting particularly pretty. You know, he's got to get up and down to par the hole to to win it by a shot. On the same hole that he put it in the water in the lead up to it uh, a couple of days before, mm. ends up scrambling and getting a par out of it. You know, so this is the kind of position that he didn't have it all his own way. He didn't go and blow the field apart there was a lot of pressure on him he knew that himself he said that that you know he knew the door was open he had to just keep going but 
talking about scrambling, the 18th was the scramble. You know, that was a real highlight of having to get up and down to win your first tournament for a year and, you know, eight years on the European Tour. And he did it. Um, anything else that impressed you about him? He said that he had the steely eye determination all week. He just felt mm-hmm. that he was in the right place, in the right frame of mind. He's been reading a lot about dealing with pressure, uh, doing a lot of work with the psychologists around that. Um, everything clicked this week. Uh, tough on Andy Sullivan. I think he was defending champion. Um, mm. You know, just comes up short, but a, a good season for Andy Sullivan. So I don't think he'll, he'll be too concerned. For poor Carrington, he goes on now into the race to Dubai over the next couple of weeks. and uh, Yeah, good problem to have, isn't it? Wasn't planning on a couple of events, you know, probably think about an early, early wrap-up for the year and uh, jumps into the top 60 in the race to Dubai and off to the DP World Tour Championship. Yeah, so he's, he's going to, you know, have a little elongated season, which is great, and, you know, hopefully the form continues and he can go far into it. And... Um, Realistically, looking at poor Carrington, like what what now at the age of forty five, three time major winner, you know, what what level do you put poor Carrington? Is it to try and get back into the likes of, you know, the Masters? You know, is the Ryder Cup in two years beyond them? Like, what do you think you'd like to see from Pork over the next couple of years? What would you consider as as you know a really good you know, 12 months, 24 months. I'd love to see him have a good start to next year, jump inside the top 50 and get four majors every year for the next two or three years. I think that'd be, that'd be a really superb kind of finish to a career. But he's, he's getting, he's 45 now, you know, guys can compete up until they're 50. We see Jimenez winning on the European tour beyond 50. It's, but he is in that. It has to happen in the next two, three, maybe four years, stretching it. Um, Any to chance be realistic, of, a, of another major? major? Any chance of maybe a, a, another Open? You know, if I, you were looking at, at realistically, you got to look at those kind of you know windy, linksy type courses that he he seems to enjoy, rather than perhaps a, a, a an Augusta. Or, I, yeah, or, like, let's let's be let's be fair. We don't think he's going to win. Augusta, yeah, I think when it's a battle, I don't know, but like he, he's after going out and winning a birdie fest out in Portugal. Now he scrambled his for his life as well, but you know he finished twenty three under, so he could compete in very different types of uh, events and very different types of tournaments and very different types of conditions. He's uh, he's a bit of an enigma, but but look, do you think when yeah. you move it into the the slightly stronger field of of a major, with all that that comes, do you think that it it you're surely not comparing what he did out in the Portugal Masters with what occurs over the four weeks at a major. A win, like, a win is a win, James. No, a win is a win. You know, you can't be saying that because he played at Birdie Fest out in Portugal, that's going to translate into a Birdie Fest somewhere else. No, but a, sure, he can grind it. I was saying he can grind it out just as well as the rest of them. And sorry, I made a mistake earlier. It was the Northern Trust Open, not the, not the Honda Classic that he won. He, um, thank you, Google. He look, he can battle it out in many different conditions, and we've seen that over the years. Um, he's as adaptable as as he could want to be on tour and when he gets those crazy eyes I wouldn't want to be playing against him in the final nine on the Sunday he, uh, I think he's definitely got a couple more wins in him over the next couple of years and um, who's who are we to question whether that one of those could be a major or not well that's why we do a podcast I'm not going <laughs> to I'm not, I'm not try second guess Padraig Harrington he's one of the toughest guys to second 
who saw this win coming from? Yeah, a few people would have had punt, long, long shot punts on them, but like, who who would have seen this win coming? Well, it's always would fun you? to speculate. Did you? You didn't have well, no, you, but, but yeah. No, like, but but the point is that we're you know the the point of this podcast, the point of this discussion is to discuss where the likes of Borg's game could go. Like Jesus, he could he flip, could be knocked flip, off on his bicycle on the way home, point. and he may never play golf again. Do you, you think? Don't he, know. Do you think he wins another major? I, I think he's more likely to win another major than Tiger Woods is. So uh, that puts uh, oh, that puts it in perspective. That is a good bet. Um, I think if neither of like you're talking the odds on either of them winning, mm. I'd say are relatively low. But I think that I, if I had a tenner right now, I'll put a tenner on the table and take that. If either of them win another major, it's more likely to be poor than it's going to be Tiger Woods. Mainly because Tiger Woods isn't playing at the moment, so it's a, <laughs> it's a fairly safe bet. That, uh, pretty solid, all right. Uh, the only difference is that Tiger at least gets to, to pretty much all of the majors for the rest of his life, um, so he doesn't have to be in the top 50. I have to, I have to hope that Pork gets back into the top 50 to get back well, to, the, uh, to the likes of the Masters. Uh, inside the top 100 now, so he's, you know, he's closer. It's, it's doable. Put a couple of good performances together and you can rocket up those rankings and all of a sudden it's, uh, he, he's got the, the golden ticket to all the, all the events he wants yeah, to play. Like, like what we all want to see is this guy do well. Like we all love him. There's mm. no doubt about it. It's just, you know, it'll be interesting to see which way it goes. I remember listening to him on a, an interview where he said, you know, and I, I'd say I'd love to know if he still stands by this, that for him it's about majors, not necessarily tour titles, mm. simply on the basis that he'll never be remembered as anything other than Poor Carrington, three-time major winner. You never hear Poor Carrington, three-time major winner and 15 European, you know, mm. you don't get that second sentence. No. And, and it's interesting when you see the guys on TV you know, they their name comes up and it's like, you know, appeared a one rider cup or, you know, <laughs> yeah. had twenty top ten finishes. And the reality is that the pinnacle for poor Carrington has been three major wins. Yeah. And unlike say Sergio or Colin Montgomery where they do have to say how many tour titles they've won because they don't have those majors, mm. I think that his focus is to get back into the majors and to then compete. And I think that he's more likely to compete in a in an open championship. Bearing in mind that in two years it's in Ireland, on the island of Ireland, and it uh, might be a very interesting swan song for, for a player of poor standing mm. to have a really enjoyable four days battling it out with, you know, hopefully Graham McDowell and, and Shane Lowry, Paul Dunn, all these guys. It would be great to see them at the, the Open Championship. Just in for our international listeners, I think there will be players other than Irish players playing in this. They won't feature. We'll have the top five locked up. But the point is yeah. that he made the comment that this week down in Portugal, it was like a home event for him. There was so many Irish yeah. there. There was a lot of hometown uh, crowd. The whole of the crowd that's going to be at that Open Championship is going to be predominantly mm. the Irish. And they're going to be rooting for all of the Irish. And let's be honest, they're also a very respectful bunch of spectators. So it's not going to be like a Ryder Cup. But it's it's going to be... If what Port- do you mean by that, James? I mean that <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody yeah. knows what I mean by the, the crowd. They're respectful, but they are going to be rooting for a Pork or a Rory or a Graham or a Darren Clark or whoever it is there. And if Pork gets off on that and he gets those eyes, like he did this week mm. with that Irish support, then hopefully this is... And he always seems to play well at the Irish Open. 
second what two years ago he was second or three years ago he was second so he loves playing in Ireland yeah. if he's going to win a major it's, that's why I'm putting my tenor down that he's more likely to win a major over that of, you'll, uh, get be- you'll get better odds on that than you will from uh, me on the straight up Tiger bet so I think there's your long term bet Patrick Harrington to win the well, the Open Championship um, the CIMB Classic was played at a course unknown because it's not in my uh, notes here but Justin Thomas uh, successfully defended his title and uh, oh poor Lahari like what what a time not to take a quad bogey um, early in the round and what does he go and do loses by four so uh, Justin Thomas back to back in that tournament uh, so that I suppose moving swiftly on was the week that was the week that is coming in is the SIME Derby LPGA Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur. Uh, it is going to be played over the 6,260-yard par 71. And uh, last week's uh, runner-up, Jessica Corda defends. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. More importantly, I suppose, it's the WGC HSBC Championship in the... Shanghai in China is going to be played over the 7,261-yard par 72. This is Russell Knock defending after a superb win last year. 42 out of the world's top 50 players are competing. Um, all the four major winners are going to also be playing. But I suppose we start where we always start, and uh, that being the odds and, and seeing what the, the, the bookmakers are saying. Uh, well, unsurprisingly, Rory is nine to two with his new three thirty yard carry. Dustin Johnson six to one. Paul Casey's twenty to one alongside Henrik Stenson, Matsuyama, and Adam Scott. Bob Watson, Patrick Reed are twenty five to one. Martin Keimer, Justin Thomas are twenty eight to one. Uh, Ryan Moore, Garcia are thirty three to one. A little bit behind them is Brooks Kepka at thirty five to one. And then we have a whole bunch on 40 to 1. We have Matt Kuchar, Danny Willett, Ricky Fowler, Jimmy Walker, Alexander Naren, and Russell Knox. See, Naren's moved inside the world top 20. I did. That helps when you win 3 out of 9, doesn't it? Um, it will move you up all right rather than down. And there you go. That's the Patrick Harrington's lesson. Win, win again and you go shooting up the rankings. A bit of an L cliff, uh, cliff face here after Rory and Dustin uh, from the 92, 6-1, right then back down to 20-1. to ones. Yeah, and, and then it just seems like the bookies can't really make their minds up because there's a, quite a lot of guys in that 20-40-1 to 40 to 1, uh, kind of spread. So it seems like they're a little bit... Um, uh, hedgy? Hedge, yeah, hedgy. A little bit hedgy this week, I guess, is a, is a good way to put it. Um, as for any fancies, do you have anyone you fancy this week? This is a really tough event because, one, I don't get to watch it because mm. we're asleep when it's on. We wake up, we hear all about it. Um, it's also at that point of the season where I think the American guys are kind of slowing down for the, for the winter break. Um, the European guys obviously are going to move on through to um, the the race to Dubai, so they're still going. So I'd be looking more at the European guys, guys who are still fighting. I like that shape. Um because they're they're going to use it as a way to keep the momentum going. I I did see that Shane Larry, who you know played pretty well here last year, and uh, he was talking about how he's just changed it slightly and that he's looking forward just to be there for the week. Um, somebody like him at hundred to one, generous one hundred to one, is uh, maybe interesting each way. He hasn't shown a huge amount of form 
reflective of I suppose the hundred to one. Mm. But um, you know, he's he's still a class player, and if he's feeling good and he's feeling confident, then he's the kind of player that I could see in a top six if you're looking at the odds in that way. I, um, I still think Martin Keimer has a win in him this year. Um, he hasn't quite been the same since he blew that 10-shot lead, uh, but he's shown quite a lot of good stuff form-wise, and he's got a good record out here. So I might take a little sneaky punt on him at 28-1. to one. Um, I've taken a few weeks off golf gambling, so it feels like it might... Might be the week to get back into it, dip the toe in the water again. All right. Well, for the people who are not in the top 50 and not playing the WGC HSBC Championship in Shanghai, the uh, also-rans are out in the Sanderson's uh, Farms Championship in Jackson, Mississippi. They're going to play it over the 7,421-yard par 72 course. And I suppose, again, Barry, if we look at the odds, it kind of shows where the, the... the real quality in the fields is at the moment and that being in China but run us through some of the uh, we'll just do the top the few yeah so Pat and Kizire is 12 to 1 playing very well recently Chris Kirk 14 to 1 Ian Poulter 28 to 1 alongside Russell Henley Jerry Kelly and Grayson Murray and David Toms and Lucas Glover are all 33 to 1 Boo Weekly, Retief Houston, Graham Dillette Jeff Ogilvy Kyle Stanley Sean Stephanie Ben Martin, Kevin Streelman are all 40-1. to 1. So, again, Bucky's having to rash us what's going on this week. And I'm, in a pretty, let's call it, it's a, it's a, it's a very weak uh, PGA Tour field, but that's due to the WGC happening and quite a lot of the big boys actually make the flight out to China. But it's, it's also it's the, the kind of week that a guy who's shown a bit of form on the web.com sometimes can come through, a guy who nobody really knows, you know, and uh, yeah, watch out for some names this week that you just have not seen before, or will be very, very alien to you. Yeah, um, like it's going to be one of those ones that if you are taking it, I'd say just take all of those names, throw them in a hat, and just pull out a few and uh, see what what goes and what happens, and you might just get lucky. You know, like a Brandon Dejean there again. You know, hundred to one, no reason why he couldn't go through. Um, there's just so many choices in that field that you could make. There's a lot of guys coming off the web.com tour final series with some red hot form and they could just carry that on and just keep going and they'll see this as a great opportunity to get a first tour win early on in their PGA Tour careers and with the the lack of that nosebleed quality um, of golfer here this week, they'll, they'll really be licking their chops. Well, it's it's it, it. You know, this is the chance for a, a guy to come through, get the tour card, get some exemptions, get some cash. Like, mm. you know, I don't know how much they're playing for, but they're usually playing for about a million dollars. So, like, you know, it's probably not too far off it. It's three good, three quarters of a million for first place. There, okay, so, it'll it'll do. And um, so, like, you know, that's incentive enough for these boys. So, look, that's I suppose um, the week ahead and the week that was, and uh, I suppose if anybody is. Got any views or opinions on what we've discussed? The Twitter handle is at a good talk golf. You can email us at a good talk spoiled at gmail.com. Um, myself and Barry are in Game Golf and, uh, and various other medias that you'll find us on. And um, I suppose just to say thank you to, to Barry for all your input. Thank you to the listeners for listening. You can find us, as Barry said at the start, on, on various different media formats itunes and i think barry you know the other ones because i don't podbean is our host page we're also on tune in for android so uh, yeah any particularly any likes you can give us or uh, comments pluses and whatnot and those things are very helpful for us and much appreciated so 
Thanks everybody for doing that and for tuning in. All right, well I'll see you on Saturday and we'll talk again next week. Bye bye, huh? Well, goodbye. Bye bye.